Welcome to the Kent Lab Podcast, featuring long-form conversations offering wisdom, hope, and community. Now here's your host, Kent Lapp. Hello, friends. This is Kent Lapp, and welcome to this episode of the Kent Lapp Podcast. Today, I'm excited to bring you my conversation with Lulu Randolph and Travis Luster. Lulu is married to Jake Randolph and is the mother of an adorable eight-month-old baby. She is a social scientist with an interest in how race and ethnicity influences perceptions of self, opportunities, and challenges as people navigate their way through life. They uh, have been members at Emmanuel Nashville uh, since attending about the end of 2015, and she does not include this in her bio, which I will have to talk to her about, but she does have a PhD, so I think she would be more accurately referred to as Dr. Lulu Randolph. Travis Lester is from Athens, Georgia, married with four children, member of Emanuel Nashville as well, have lived in Nashville, Tennessee for about three and a half years, and is passionate about building diverse communities where we live, work, and worship. I wanted to have uh, both of these folks on the show to hear their thoughts and personal experience of the brokenness still so prevalent in our country today in this area of ethnic and racial unity, and in particular to talk about some of the practical differences in just like stylistic preferences in the church. Those ways of doing things that we, as uh, white evangelicals, may not even think about because to us it's just normal, but may not feel normal or even welcoming to someone of a different ethnicity. And for this conversation, I thought it'd be fun to get a couple of friends from church since we would have that shared family experience and context together. Travis, because he's a close friend and I highly respect and value his input. And Lulu, because I wanted a female perspective as well. And she's super smart, as you'll be able to tell, extremely well-educated. And this is the space she's in, as you could tell from her bio. I hope you find it as enjoyable and helpful as I did. You may want to check out the Can't Lap podcast on YouTube as well. We have full-length episodes there in video format, of course, as well as clips. And you can just kind of peruse and browse there if you're looking for some wholesome, helpful, or maybe some um, an entertainment in the evening instead of watching TV. You can maybe check that out. It'd also be a privilege to connect on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me there just simply at Kent Lap. And if you do find our conversation helpful and uh, know of someone else that may enjoy it or find it helpful as well, would you consider texting a link uh, or referring the podcast? Uh, spreading the word by word of mouth is the uh, best way to go. I really appreciate that. Thank you. So without any further ado, I give you my conversation with Lulu Randolph and Travis Lester. Please enjoy. Travis Lester, Lulu Randolph, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah. This is here. a uh, Emmanuel Nashville takeover. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the benefits of having your own podcast. You can do whatever you want. Um, so yeah, this is great. Travis, you are one of my closest and most respected friends. Thank you for being here. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. And Yeah, and Lulu. Mm-hmm. So we've been going to the same church for some time, but I don't yeah. know you that well, actually. Yeah. So thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for inviting I'm, me. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you better through the conversation here. Same. Uh, but yes, shout out for Emmanuel Nashville, since that's where we're all from here. EmmanuelNashville.com. <laughs> Pastor TJ Timms. Mm-hmm. Scott Thomas. John Farmer. Sam Albury. Mm-hmm. I get them all? Yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> um, that's right. Lulu, I'd actually like to hear a little bit more about your story and where you're from and yeah. the whole, I really, by the way, when did you guys start coming to Emmanuel? Oh, I think we started coming maybe back in um, 2015. There were, I think there were two things. We were, we'd been in Nashville, Jake and I, since um, 
about 2008 for him, 2009 for me. Okay. And so we were at another church for a while. And then um, we actually started visiting Emmanuel in 2015 when some friends of ours who went to Emmanuel invited us because I think it was post the Charleston church shooting and Mm. um, Defensive Marriage Act ruling that a couple of things were happening. Mm. And um, we weren't sure... We weren't sure how to feel about a couple of different things because of what was going on at our church. And so our friends invited us to Emmanuel. Ray Ortland was preaching. He mm-hmm. was on fire. He messed us up that day in a great oh, yeah. way. But we were like, okay, maybe we'll come back here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we started attending in uh, late 2016, like right oh. at the end of the 2016. It was when Jericho was born. So I actually mm-hmm. attended for like three or four weekends, I think, before Mariana started coming because she oh, was home cool. with Jericho. So right. end of mm-hmm. 2016, 2015 or 16, but I don't, I don't know you and Jake extremely yeah. well. So yeah. I'd love to get to know you just a little bit. I'd love to hear your story. Yeah. Um, I, I'll give a big picture and then I guess whatever we yeah. get into possibly can go from there. But um, I am the oldest of three, I guess. My parents are Nigerians and I was born mm. here in the United States. My brothers and I were. Um, do you have dual citizenship? We do, yeah. Oh, interesting. <laughs> All parents, the siblings? Yes. And my cool. parents live there now. They went okay. back to Nigeria after about 30-something years. And so they're um, living and working there. And most of my family is back there. Most of mm. their siblings are still mm. there. I'm in a couple of other parts of the world. but, um, But yeah, I grew up... Nigerian American very much so. And so I think um, when it comes to just figuring out a sense of place and things Mm -hmm. like that in the the U.S., that was like an interesting and kind of challenging at sometimes upbringing for me because Mm -hmm. I was very aware of me being African and especially most of my life I lived in Savannah, Georgia, which is beautiful. I didn't really appreciate it at the time, but also just racially in um, like the 90s, 2000s was like just a really... um, not very diverse place, at least in the schools and mm-hmm. the parts of town that we lived in and where we went to. And were so, you in school when you were in Savannah? Yes, I okay. um, I started elementary school there. I think at least first grade, um, okay. and then went to a private school in fifth grade. And things got harder from there, kind of racially. But I think I grew up very aware that like, and we would go back to Nigeria at different points because again, that's still home for us. Mm. Um, even though my brothers and I weren't born there, and so. It was interesting because when I was in Savannah, in the schools that I was went to, there like I was maybe one of two. When I graduated, I was the only black person in my grade, and so oh, within wow. the school, I was like maybe one of. There were probably a handful of us between kindergarten and twelfth grade, and so I was clearly like the black person. Whatever that meant, mm-hmm. all of the baggage that came with that, and the questions and the weird interactions, and then. I know at one point my mom, she's like, you guys need to be around um, other people of color. And so she sent us to like an inner city camp, which did not go well because people were like, you're very weird black people. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, why do you talk like that? Um, Are you still in Savannah at this point? Yes, exactly. And they're like, there's a couple different things that we just didn't know. I learned how to double dutch that summer. I was very proud of myself. (laughs) Um, I learned a little bit how to braid too because I grew up with brothers. So, and I never had to take care of my own hair. And so, now, excuse my ignorance, what is double dutch? Oh, it's a super fun jump rope game. Like, it's with two jump ropes. I thought it had to do, okay. It's very rhythmic. and just a lot of fun, but I didn't know what it was when I went yep. there at the beginning of summer camp. And so that was one of the things I was like, I have to fit in. Like, you know, I have yeah. to fit in and I have to learn this. And it was also just a lot of fun. So yeah. 
that's like my brothers fit in automatically because boys, I think y'all are gentler to each other. And basketball, we're rougher. Like we're rougher physically and gentler emotionally, wouldn't you say, Travis? <laughs> I think that's about right <laughs> for the most part. Yes. Yeah. And then whenever, so like at that space, there were times where I was not black enough at school. Mm. I was definitely not white. And then when we went back to Nigeria, they're like, oh, you know, our American cousins, especially since I don't speak, our, my family's tribe is Igbo and I'm not fluent in Igbo. And so that kind of thing, like I felt like outside in a lot of different ways from whatever space I was in. But I think I grew up learning how to navigate that. And mm. that's really informed my sense of self, like racially and ethnically, sense of self too, when it comes to how, you know, I feel like the Lord's been strategic in that, even though I always felt like a puzzle piece or a weird chameleon. That was just like not not always there, but I think the Lord um, the Lord has used that and has really done so in ways that have strengthened my faith and strengthened to my um, just my journey. Like I I went to graduate school and got a PhD in community research and action, and my research was on ethnic identity development mm. and how that influences how people see themselves and the challenges and opportunities in the world and how they navigate that. And so, like, there's tons of experiences from you know, childhood and onward that led me to that kind of area of study. But also that with my faith is like being a Christian and an academic and how to reconcile those two, mm. which has felt like a couple of different things. And so I feel like that's a kind of like throwing it all at the wall. Overview. Yeah. Yeah. And then how, uh, where and how did you meet Jake then? Jake and I met in college. Okay. Yeah. He was actually... And where'd you go to college then? Uh, we both went to Oxford College of Emory University. So it's okay. like a two-year school that fed into Emory and... Jake was actually at Xavier University in New Orleans. Okay. But he, Hurricane Katrina hit, and then um, all those students in those schools kind of like went. A lot of schools were just accepting students who had been displaced by the hurricane, and so Jake ended up coming to Emory, and then we met, and then were friends, and then ended up dating as he was leaving and as I was going into my senior year. Okay. And then what brought you guys to Nashville? Both of us were graduate school. So okay. Jake was studying um, microbiology at Vanderbilt, and I was studying community research in action for my doctoral uh, program. Okay, so, at yeah. Vandy. Right, yeah. Both of us uh, came okay. here for that, and, and we then, planned and to go back. Stayed. But yeah, we just ended up staying in Nashville. Yay for Vandy. I think that happens a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, people come here for school and right. then just wind up staying, which is great. Yeah. So Travis... I think it's you and I, last man standing without PhDs in the room, it sounds like. <laughs> that would be true. <laughs> and it'll probably remain that way. <laughs> oh, it'll definitely remain that way for me. I'm working off of a high school diploma. That's all I've got. <laughs> um, yeah, there's uh, there's quite a stretch between me and a PhD for sure. Um what line of work are you in now then? I'm a researcher. So I'm actually, funny enough, a postdoc back at Vandy. I was teaching after I graduated at Fisk for a little bit, but then a research position opened up in Vanderbilt's sociology department. And so I'm over there now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, Travis, I know your story a little bit, but I'm sure people would be interested. Do you want to kind of give us a brief flyover of your mm-hmm. your upbringing and how you guys wound up in Nashville and everything? No, absolutely. So I too, I'm from Georgia, mm-hmm. just a little bit. North of... Uh, go Bulldogs, right? Go Bulldogs. Right? So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> you I'm just know. saying that for your sake, not because I'm a Bulldogs fan, <laughs> to be clear. <laughs> yes, I grew up in a small town, Athens, Georgia, home of the University of Georgia. Uh, uh, I have one sister, grew up in a, um, you know, both my parents, uh, just loving, caring, Christian family. Um, and I think, first, Athens, Georgia is a very, uh, I would say, uh, 
poor area outside of the University of Georgia, right? The mm-hmm. poverty rate is is in the thirties percent. Wow. Um, which is which is definitely higher than um most towns in Georgia and Kicking Cities in Georgia. Mm-hmm. And so um what I wanted to do, I wanted to get out of get out of Athens uh, upon upon graduation uh, of high school. And so um, my journey, I would say, to Nashville um, looked like first going to a historically black college and university in Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, uh, Clark Atlanta University. And mm-hmm. uh, I wanted to do that because I wanted to be around other successful black people. Mm-hmm. Um, just from my upbringing, I didn't, I didn't initially see that mm-hmm. um, a whole lot. So I was encouraged by, by uh, making that, that move there, um, just being a part of the uh, African-American community, Diverse African American community mm. um, in Atlanta um, at that university really shaped kind of my worldview. I would say mm-hmm. um, today, um, and so um, I um, I studied business business administration, and so um, always wanted to be in business. Didn't know, didn't have a passion for you know a certain industry or whatever, but I did have a passion for for, for business, you know, mm-hmm. and, and organization and so forth, and so. Uh, I did that. So when I, out of uh, college, uh, I've worked with within the consumer packaged good industry, and um, worked for multiple c- companies uh, over the past, call it, nearly fifteen years um, in sales, primarily across the country. And so um, my family and I have a big family. I have four, four kids, um, and we have I've lived in, I guess Tennessee would be our my fourth state. So okay, North Carolina, Arkansas, and now here. And so yeah. Um, Great experience professionally moving in different places, um, you know, um, really allowed us to be able to adapt into a lot of different situations and yeah. a lot of cultures and a lot of different communities. Mm-hmm. Um, we landed in Nashville because um, we wanted to be closer to Georgia. Mm-hmm. And, and so we got a great opportunity to work here um, in the Nashville area. Um, and um, we thought it would be a great adventure for our family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we live in Franklin. Um, now, um, and so we've been there, uh, I guess, about three and a half years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's been it's been it's been a pretty good experience so far. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're glad you're here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if we'd know you if you had if you hadn't wound up here. How, how did you guys wind up at Emmanuel again? Was it through Cornerstone in Knoxville? Yeah. So we have some mutual have some mutual friends who had uh, attended Emmanuel or knew of Emmanuel and recommended that we okay. check it out. And so. Um, like most, uh, you know, new people who are looking for churches in Nashville area, it's overwhelming. Mm. Yeah. You know, there's a yeah. church on every corner, um, yeah. <laughs> if you will. And so we didn't want to really just church hop for long periods of time. And yeah. so I think we'd, we'd maybe attended maybe three churches. And so mm. um, it was the, it was the, it was the holiday time, like Thanksgiving, Christmas time when we first went to Emmanuel. And I didn't want to just try churches throughout that time. It's like, let's, mm-hmm. just, let's just choose one, happened to be Emmanuel. Mm-hmm. And uh, we never left. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, we're glad you're, we're glad you're there for sure. Yeah. Um, historically black college or university, you glad you did that? Is the uh, and is it um which one did you go to again? You said it was Atlanta area? Clark mm-hmm. Clark Atlanta University. Okay. Yes. And what were you looking for specifically out of doing going to a school like that? Um I think I was looking for home. Mm. You know, a sense of a sense of home uh as it relates to this culture. Um mm-hmm. because within 
um, the African-American community. There's a lot of different cultures, I would say, um, mm-hmm. within within that. And so one of the things I, I gained, right, I gained a lot of perspective of um, those those that are from California versus those that are from Chicago versus New York mm-hmm. City versus the South. Um, although your skin might look the same, totally different, mm-hmm. totally different people, mm-hmm. totally different upbringing, totally different perspective on life mm-hmm. um, in general. And so you kind of get that, you, you get the education as well um, yeah. when you um, attend a, you know, predominantly black university. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'd like to hear from you guys. I like to, I'd like to, I mean, this, this could be such, I mean, this could be such a long conversation. Like we're going to barely even scratch the surface here. Mm -hmm. Um, Last week we had Anthony Hendricks on talking about, you know, ethnic um, unity. That was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Uh, By the time this comes out, Brad Perry was, is going to come, would would be live. He was on last week too. Um, So, I mean, we could take us, we could take us a lot of different directions. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd love to hear, and I and I'm and I'm happy taking it whatever direction you guys are, you know, think best and and um, however you think you kind of best contribute to the conversation here. But I would love to hear from you guys' perspective, like what what is what is broken, you know, because being white in America, we don't pick up on these things um, quickly or keenly, and we can tend to think, yeah, things are great, things are fine, like. It's 2020 in the United States of America. Things are pretty good. We have things figured out pretty well. You know what I mean? Like mm. we are attempting to put people on Mars. Um, <laughs> we've put people on the moon. You know, like we have done some pretty incredible things here. And yet we're still dealing with some of this stuff. There's no, I mean, that, that's, that can't really be, we're past the point of arguing about whether this is still an issue or not. It's an mm. issue. Mm-hmm. But I don't think um, us white people are, we're oblivious to a lot of it, I believe. So what, what do you, what have you, what do you guys is, what do you see is like, where's the brokenness now? Where's the disconnect? I mean, it kind of struck me, Travis, when you said you were looking for home, like, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, I mean, it kind of, it strikes me as sad a little bit that like you wouldn't find just any university or college home. You know what I mean? Yeah. So mm-hmm. you want to jump in Lulu? Like wh- how have you experienced brokenness here in this area of ethnic unity? Um, I feel like my mind is racing as far as different places to start. Um, I think when, if I'm, if I'm making sure that I, for me personally, approach this from the right perspective, um, I think it starts back in scripture, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and we learn in Genesis that, you know, in the beginning, God created them, male and female, he created them, right? And I think that if anything, um, that's really one of the few, if any, distinctions that God made between like persons, but even still all of them were made in the image of God, Adam and Mm -hmm. Eve, and the people who came as a result of them. And so there's there's a place in scripture where we have, um, we have people and there's, you know, male here, female, and it's not necessarily like one over the other. They're side by side different, but um, both equal equal value in the eyes of God. Um, and then, you know, we look and see later on where people um, were, you know, throughout Genesis, then the earth becomes populated and we have the Tower of Babel and like the dispersion of 
languages and from that culture to an emerge that emerge from kind of those distinctions. I think somewhere along the way and and scripture later on kind of goes into detail to talk about this, but I think we take the difference that was side by side and we started to flip it and we made that those differences horizontal. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether it became like about men and women, whether it became about, you know, this family or that family or um, people when it came, comes to the colors of skin, scripture doesn't specifically talk about when that emerges and when that becomes a thing, but we know from our lived experiences that yeah. that's absolutely a thing. Um, that there are differences in the amount of melanin that we have in our mm-hmm. bodies that then is visually seen. And for some reason, somewhere along the way, someone said, um, and it typically is, and I know it sounds bold, but I'm going to say it across the world, typically darker is worse mm-hmm. um, and lighter is more valued. And that's for a lot of different reasons. Um, sometimes historical and that get mixed in with culture in those kind of different ways. But I think the brokenness began when we we started to question whether it's explicitly or implicitly what God said about equality and started to try and build our own understandings of the world, our own, um, essentially our own theologies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is an anecdote, but I know for me, when I was in first grade, again, back in Savannah, and I was going to a public school at this point, but I had a friend, a couple different friends, but I was playing with a friend. She's, she was Asian and, um, and a white friend as well. The three of us were playing something and, you know, randomly kids were talking and she's just kind of like, you know, my grandma told me that when God created the world, he, um, when he was making people, he was making them kind of like a batch of cookies. Right. And so he put the first people in and they came out burnt and those were black people. And then God's like, let me try again. So he put the cookies back in, they came out underdone and those were white people. And so he put the cookies in a third time they came out perfectly, and those were Asian people. <laughs> and Wait, well, I, well, one second. Who said this? This is my friend, my first grade friend. Again, randomly. Kids talk about stuff super randomly. The kid is telling you that her grandma told, told her. Told her this, and so she was sharing it with us. Uh, but it was we an Asian planning. kid. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and so the Asian, of course, is like the one that's perfect. Right. Okay. Exactly. Okay. And Ouch. Exactly. And so with <laughs> me, at least when I was thinking that, I remember just thinking like, okay, well, you can still do stuff with cookie dough. I mean, like you can put it back in, you can put it in an ice cream, take your chances, eat it raw. <laughs> but like if it's burnt, like nobody wants that. You just throw mm-hmm. away burnt cookies. Yeah. And even though nobody pointed to me and said that this is a verse of scripture, like that way of seeing the world, there's, there's a theology there that showed up that I didn't even know what to do with as a kid, you know, pretty early. There's these views of the world, whether they're explicitly stated like that, or whether they're in the images that we see or the books that we read, or even in just kind of like the conversation that we have that permeate these ideas about who's better, Mm -hmm. um, who's better, who's worse, um, whatever the things. And of course, we all tend to contend depending on what groups we fall into, cases for why our group or class is the best or the ideal or Mm -hmm. whatnot. Um, And that's brokenness. That's a false theology. It's, It's ethnocentrism that shows up there in this, again, silly cookie example, but it's no different from um, ethnocentrism that says, you know, okay, well, we need like authority, people in a positions of authority need to look a certain way. So whether that means that we need a white male or whether that means that if you're a black woman, you need to straighten your hair so you're less threatening or you can't wear locks or you can't like all of these kind of things. We're trying to push people toward a certain ideal or a certain standard of what is best, what is most trustworthy, what is 
ideal um, and to kind of distance ourselves from whatever else is seen as less than. And again, even though that's not, even for people who are atheistic, those are theologies. Those are theologies mm-hmm. of just kind of like how, and understandings of how we came to be, how the world is, why it is the way it is, you know, and what we need to strive for as a result of that. And that's the root of the brokenness because then decisions are made off of that. Ideas and beliefs about who you are are internalized mm-hmm. from those interactions constantly, especially if it's day after day after day, whether you're thinking about it or not, these things are seeping into your worldview. Um, and so, I don't know, that's just a, like a weird opener, but mm-hmm. I can at least like see Travis, like where you think from there and I have other thoughts that I can share later. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Well, how, how does that, would you have both battled that thought then as a kid of almost, I guess, in a sense, being less than? I mean, the cookie dough example, did, did, did that affect you or did you just know better and you brush it off and moved on? Well, in my family, I, again, I grew up African, very much aware of my Nigerianness, um, And really my parents are very much like, doesn't matter if people are like rude or racist to you, just like get A's in school and then, you know, you'll get a good job and it won't matter. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so, yeah. um, and so when, when that came at me, Clearly, I'm in my 30s now and I remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't explicitly say like, that was the day I started feeling bad about myself or that was the day that, you know, I was like, I don't like Asian people, which is not true at all. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't talk about how as a child I processed that. Mm-hmm. But it clearly, it clearly for me is something that stuck with me mm-hmm. and was a worldview that I had to then contend with in right. different ways repeatedly at different points in my life when other things would happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that worldview, that feeling that, that contending with that. And I, I mean, for me, I, I, it doesn't take much for me to feel out of place. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if that's <laughs> visiting a new church as a kid or like, I don't know, it just, I just feel like it, it never really takes that much for me to feel a little bit out of place, but dealing with that, um, if you're dealing with that, say, as a young kid, based on the color of your skin, that's a difficult thing to sort of deal with as a kid. Mm-hmm. You don't have typically have the tools right. unless you've been in a family. Some families are pretty deliberate from early on, but mm-hmm. even then I feel like there's no, um, there's no formula for like, this is how you make sure that your kid is consistently reinforced at any point in for- time from yep. racist attacks. Right. Did you deal with that as a kid, Travis? I would say No. Okay. Um, not directly of what um, Lulu experienced because I would say that at that age, um, I wasn't around other races. Mm. It was I was only around black people oh, okay. um, for the most part. And so I didn't experience that until probably I got into, um, you know, I was in class with like, with uh, other other races, like white white people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so forth, but I didn't really know, know them, right? Mm. Uh, I didn't, until probably middle school, um, or high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say I had one very close white friend, um, because they were still very close. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I just recall, um, I think the closeness that you have with people, mm-hmm. um, it shows up based on if you're spending time at, in these people's homes, mm-hmm. right? Right. They're having meals and dinner together. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and, and at that in high school, middle school and high school, there was only one white family that I would ever have been to their house. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So just think about that for a minute. Right. Yeah. Um, and so 
leading up to that, it wasn't, I wasn't, for me, I wasn't thinking about race because to me, I was, you know, it was us and them. Yeah. I don't really know them. So yeah, I mean, I'm not really thinking about it as a kid. Yeah. Okay. As a kid. Yeah. Um, and so I think for me, my journey in like in high school, um, then go into college and education and then. Um, my eyes were open more to the world, how big mm-hmm. the world is and a lot of different people in the world um, when I was older, not so when I was younger in terms of just thinking about it and talking about it. Yep. Um, so I didn't, I didn't experience that, um, you know, but I did experience, I had a great friend who loved his, loved his family to this day and, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we, we spent time together though. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, there was a mutual respect because, yeah. we knew, because we knew each other. Right. 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 And I think one of the things, answering your first question about what is broken um, in this country, one thing is um, there's, some, there's ignorance around it, the true history of race in the United States mm-hmm. or in America. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure Anthony probably <laughs> talked about it at length last week. Yeah, with and you, Brad, Brad too. Yeah. And Brad. Yep. And, so, and they can articulate better than I can, but um, there's a lot of history that, white people don't really know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And don't care to know. And don't care. Frankly. Maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. don't care to know. Right? Yeah. And so I think that's part that's broken. And that, yeah. that gives like, okay, well, I'm not thinking about it because it's not in my face. Yes. Um, I don't have a desire um, to learn the real history of, mm-hmm. of America and the impact mm-hmm. even to this day. Um, and perhaps, um, you know, maybe you can speak for it, but um, my biggest thing, I, I would like to see, um, you know, spending more time getting to know people who don't look like you, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. genuinely, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And that mean that happen that happens in at the dinner table, right? Yeah. Or, or in the in the backyard, um, yep. You know, when you're grilling and so forth. And I think um, our neighborhoods, even today, I live in Franklin, um, and um, what I see is, you know, in general, just like around the rest of the country, um, different races congregate. You know, mm-hmm. um, and even in the Middle Tennessee area, you have um, high concentration of African Americans in a certain area, mm-hmm. Hispanics in certain certain areas, um, and um, where white folks live as well in certain areas. And so mm-hmm. um, there's still a divide, yeah, in terms of where we live. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. One of the things that Anthony mentioned last week <clears throat> when he was here was that. Um, he, uh, you know, he, he's in this space, you know, very much so. It's of high interest. He's extremely well read. He was, we were talking about this before we hit record, Travis, but he texted me a list of books after. I mean, it was a lengthy list of books. I haven't even like processed his text yet. <laughs> but, um, you know, he went back to his high school reunion at some point, like years and years later. And, um, and, you know, even at that reunion, like it tended to be like the black people sort of were congregating, the white people were sort of congregating. He was like, man, you know, I mean, I think it was, it wasn't like it was, I guess, obnoxious. He was just like a little bit disappointed. Like all these mm-hmm. years later, like, why aren't we commingling better? Mm-hmm. Another thing that he mentioned was that he's kind of feels like, or not feels like he does have these conversations with kids that with his kids that they need to be better. So to be basically, um, I don't know, how would you say like to, to get um, maybe to get the promotion, to have the same probability of getting a promotion mm. from your likely white boss, you're going to actually have to be better just to be on equal footing. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and, and that's kind of one of the things he's talked to his kids about is they're going to have to be just a little better, mm-hmm. but that's a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. Do you guys feel that pressure personally? You're going to have to talk. Do you have kids? I do. Oh, yeah, she's like going on eight months right now. 
so we have. You have an eight month old. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa! Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> How old is your youngest? About six, six months. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so Very cool. After, okay. Yeah. So do you guys feel that pressure personally? And are you talking to your kids like that? I'm curious. Um, yes, personally. Um, my oldest is seven. So no, we're not, not directly talking about um, the need to um, show up um, better than um the next white person or, um, or to just get the opportunity because they're too young at this point. But mm-hmm. I do find myself um, being very focused um, on them excelling mm-hmm. and doing the best mm-hmm. they can, um, whatever they're doing, mm-hmm. with the mindset mm-hmm. of at some point having that conversation. Right. right? Um, and, but, you know, right now it's not about, you know, the America, what's mm-hmm. true in America around opportunities and biases and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's about, you know, them, you know, excelling mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. whatever they do. So, And do you want them to excel because they can, because they should, because if they excel, um, maybe they can, they can, you know, be in positions of influence or authority and help, you know, direct this country in a better way. Like what's, what's behind the motive to excel? I'm curious. Um, I would say kind of all of the above. I mean, you know, I want them to, they should, right? You mm-hmm. know, if we're going to do anything, you want to do it to the best of our ability mm-hmm. um, to honor the Lord mm-hmm. um, first, right? And so um, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, and so that's that's my mindset. Yeah. And I think um, at least in my home in my, and in my upbringing, every generation, we want to do just a little bit better than the, the generation behind us, mm-hmm. right? Um, with education, economics, opportunity, uh, things of that nature. Um, and I think um, that's what I would strive for my kids as mm-hmm. well. How have you handled that pressure personally of feeling like you needed to like be a little better? That's a lot of pressure for whether you're a kid or an adult. You said you feel <laughs> yeah. that pressure. I think How do you, you handle I, that? Well, I think uh, you have to handle it, right? Because I think mm-hmm. there's no choice. I mean, for me, it's, it's, that's, that's what's necessary, um, unfortunately, right? And so... It's like, you know, if I go left or go right, um, the right way is to handle the pressure, mm-hmm. uh, step up to it and deliver um, because um, the other way is, you know, um, not very good. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, po- it's, it's, it's poverty. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's pain. It's broken families. Mm. Um, you know, it's, you know, it's. In this country, you know, it could be jail, it could be death, mm-hmm. could be right? Violence mm-hmm. against Violence. you. Yes. Yeah. Things of that mm-hmm. nature. And so, um, yeah. And, and do you mean by that, like, if you don't live, say, in, you know, a nice community or a nice development or good, the good part of town or have a good job or um, those, uh, those types of things that violence may happen against you, you might not be safe. Is that, is that what you mean? Not even that, unfortunately. Okay. Well, so you say. Yeah. So talk through that. Yeah. I was, was going to say no. I mean, I think, I think it's um, edu- education um, really helps one with uh, opportunity and having visibility mm-hmm. um, to something different, um, something different than than poverty, right? Or um, yeah, yeah, just that, really. Okay. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the first thing that comes to my mind because yeah. um, if you live in poverty, you know, 
more likely to, um, you know, potentially go to jail. Mm-hmm. Um, and more likely to have a family that's broken. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you don't have the opportunities or you don't see the opportunities, have the visibility to other parts of the world or what's, what's yeah. going on. Right. Yeah. Because you're just, you're kind of, you're kind of stuck in this, yeah. in this box, if you will. Yeah. And the world we live in in America, you know, um, you know, we don't, we don't, uh, we look down a lot of, we look down on, on, on people. Yeah. Um, in, in that box. But I think yeah. it's also hard to, cause at least based off of, um, the conversation that you were alluding to before, that idea of having to be better in order to have access to the same opportunities. Yeah. I think that that's, I know that's something that's been drilled into me ever since I was a child. And I, I know same thing with my husband, um, Jake, he's African-American. He was, um, his family's from the United States, but we both, that's something that we could both very much relate to. And I think what's hard about that what comes to mind for me is like the idea of being above reproach. Mm. Um, because I think, unfortunately, if you are, say for instance, if you are just as good or not somehow obviously better, um, and I use air quotes around that, mm-hmm. then you have to make it, like it's easier sometimes there's um, social networks that we don't have access to because of the history of the United States and the relationships that have been formed, the wealth that's been um, kind of, Made, but people have had access to in certain communities, mm-hmm. typically white communities that black people don't have access to. Um, so there's, even when you think about like maybe jobs and things like that, people tend to hire who they know or maybe who um, they rely on references and those networks could really count for you. And if you have someone where it's like, okay, well, this is my friend's son or daughter, but this person, you know, let's say they're like a Harvard grad, blah, 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 blah. Then it's like, you know, you put someone in a position where they're going to have to really argue if they can even be forced to be held accountable for whatever decision making. And it gets tricky because again, if someone's running a business at the end of the day, it's their, it's their prerogative. But Mm -hmm. I think this pushes up against this idea in the United States that it is a meritocratic society. Mm -hmm. And that if you do well, um, if you are, if you show yourself to be good, then the clear reward is, um, you know, getting what you deserve for the efforts that you expend it. And that's not always the case, especially if you are a person of color. Um, typically, if you are Hispanic, if you are black, if you're Native American, if you're those kind of things. And even in some um, Asian communities as well, because there's a whole other thing about race there. But as far as the violence, it's hard because like as you guys, I'm sure have been hearing, whether it's um, Breonna Taylor or Ahmaud Arbery or... Um, just people, tons of people um, who, and these are only the ones who have gotten Twitter hashtags over the past year or even five years. Um, Whenever anything happens, especially if we're thinking about clashes with police, then um, one of the things that quickly comes out is like, okay, well, what were they doing that was threatening or what were they doing that was whatever? And you have to be like, okay, well, Let's sometimes in order to gain sympathy, it's like this person, she was an EMT who was just coming home from a shift. I know it gets tricky because like, again, her boyfriend was involved in trying to defend their home and things like that. Or I think there was a case um, a couple of years ago with a therapist who was trying to help a special needs patient of his try to kind of coax him out and the police fired on him. And it's just kind of like, what is, again, like, do I need to be a person where I can like, I have a whole bunch of friends white, black, and otherwise who can vouch for me that I was a quote-unquote good person so that we can make a case for why 
this this act of of force on the behalf of let's say police again since we're just sticking on this right now is was excessive and unnecessary and sometimes triggered by the fact that because of the color of my skin and because of my gender, my husband has to contend with this. Mm-hmm. Travis has to probably contend with this way more than I do as a black woman. But again, we still see terrible things happening, woman, man alike. But it's just, you have to be above reproach so that when things happen, you can just be like, no, it wasn't that they raised their voice. No, it wasn't that they didn't you know, take orders from citizens who were telling them to stop jogging or why they were... Like, you have to make up all these things. And so I think that that better than... It can apply absolutely to the way you perform in school so that you can get the job or whatever, or it can apply to, okay, how you need to be seen when people are writing your obituary because yeah. somebody reacted in a problematic way and now there's all these represent, representation kind of politics that are going on yeah. that have to do a large part of the time with because of the way that you look. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you guys hear this, but I have heard it a couple of times in the last couple of weeks. A surprising amount, to be honest with you, about uh, sentiments like um, just weird things like maybe the 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 I mean, some of this stuff is just so embarrassing to even repeat. But like maybe the liberals paid someone to to shoot that, you know, to mm-hmm. shoot a mod Arbery, you mm-hmm. know, like maybe there's a political agenda here. Mm-hmm. Um and then, and then, and then, like, and then nitpicking on, mm-hmm. like, well, how about, but, but this and that, and technically mm-hmm. this, and technically mm-hmm. that, and blah, 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 blah. But, but here's like, so, so I was just in 10 minutes, literally, based on one news article, just jotting down a few. Like, these are, these are, these are black, um, black people that have died just in the last four years mm-hmm. that all, all of them, I would say all of them on this list, and I would certainly say 100% of Maude Arbery, you cannot convince me otherwise. If he was white, they're still alive. Right. And to me, that's all, that's all I need to know to bring this into a discussion about eth- ethnic um, unity and mm-hmm. racial reconciliation and, mm-hmm. and all these things. I don't care um, with some of these details. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, and, and some of the stuff and the police stuff is... You know, I mean, that's a whole, obviously, that's a discussion all of its own, but mm-hmm. it's, I mean, some of the stuff you just can barely even watch. And the fact that, you know, I didn't know about Mr. Arbery until last week until that video came out. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that alone is absurd. Mm-hmm. Again, it, he, just the fact that it, it, because his skin was black, he wound up getting killed. That mm-hmm. is... Details aside, I mean, that this is now the, the center part of the discussion. We have to fix this. We mm-hmm. just can't keep going on like this because we've been going on like this for some time now. Mm-hmm. Um, but back to the the pressure, though. Um, my, grew, my wife grew up Amish, like legit oh, Amish. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. her, her uh, parents are still Amish, wow. like horse and buggy Amish, the whole nine. Mm-hmm. I grew up Mennonite, so it's wow. similar, but we had mm-hmm. cars and... Um, Houses had electricity and and stuff. Um, so, you know, like, Mennonites is kind of in between. So I got to, like, wear these clothes and stuff like that. But um, so I know a little bit what it feels like to have, like, uh, maybe some expectations on you that is foreign to you and feel like you need to perform a certain way based on expectations um, of other people. And with some of it, you don't personally think it makes sense, but you need to do it because that's what's expected. Mm. And for some personalities, um, it 
it's a bigger deal than for others. And what I mean by that is like my wife, no big deal. Like she'd be, um, I mean, she, I don't think she'd mind me saying this. She'd probably be <laughs> Mennonite to this day. Like if it wasn't for me, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, she's, um, she's totally on board with the decisions we're making. Obviously we're making them together, but, mm-hmm. but she's kind of like, you know, she's kind of cool with just doing what's expected of her mm-hmm. person like me drives me nuts. Like if it's something I want to do <laughs> great, but if there's an expectation on me that I don't appreciate, that would drive me nuts. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why I'm coming back to this pressure. How do you handle that pressure? I'd love to hear from both of you. It it feels like to me, you both said it, you, you both feel a expectation to be sort of better because your skin is black, but that's an, that's a pressure put on you from the outside. How do you handle that pressure? What do you do with it? Because, um, that seems like a tough thing to carry around 24 seven. You know, I think for, for me, um, I haven't really thought about it a lot, right? Because I think it's just, it's just normal. Mm-hmm. It's what you, it's what you live in every day. Right. Um, so I really haven't thought about how I handle it. Right. I think it's just, <laughs> It's just, it's always been there, mm-hmm. right? And so it's not like I'm walking into something that was never there, per se. Mm-hmm. Um, what, I th- what I think about is, I don't know why. I don't know why it's this way, but um, I would like for us to go back to, we're talking about what's broken, back to little, little children, right? Mm-hmm. If we just, just kind of turn our eyes back to when we were children, um, and I would say most of us, even I know my children today, five, six, seven, eight year olds, they don't, they don't look at race. They don't look at the color of skin. Mm-hmm. They are, they love each other because they're friends mm-hmm. and they enjoy being around each other. Um, and I think about my boys, I have three boys and right now, I don't know if I told you this in the past, um, can't, but, um, Right now, wherever we go, my kids are the cutest little thing <laughs> ever, mm-hmm. right? White women, Asian women, black women, they're just so cute, mm-hmm. right? I am fearful that, you know, in short 10 years, mm-hmm. they will be a threat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those little boys, <laughs> they're mm-hmm. too tall, but mm-hmm. 10 years ago, they were cute. They were mm-hmm. the cutest thing. Yeah. I want to take them home. I want to yeah. take them home with yeah. me. Mm-hmm. And it's just sad in this country that even, man, like, even now, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, my hope was that by now my children wouldn't have to experience that, but mm. they probably will. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and I'm hopeful, right? I'm hopeful. Mm-hmm. But um, it is challenging to think that, and there's a burden there for me to protect them in that way. Because mm-hmm. um, I don't want them to be, um, I'll tell you this. Um, another way to handle, handle pressure, I would say, I mean, for me, um, I'm very comfortable being the only black person in the room because mm-hmm. I have in, in certain settings at work, you know, um, you know, business affiliations, uh, maybe in a neighborhood, perhaps uh, sometimes at church. Um, and so, again, it's, it, I'm very comfortable in that space. I will tell you. Um, some black black people are not, mm-hmm. right? And same with you know, same probably with with, with white people. If you, mm-hmm. if you put put yourself in a minority situation, mm-hmm. um, how would you feel? Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I'm at a point where in most pa- in most cases, I can make myself feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
in it. Doesn't mean I'm always, I feel like I'm at home going back to college. Um, but yeah. Okay. So you, you can make yourself feel comfortable. You can make yourself comfortable, not necessarily at home. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you have to become more white to be comfortable or do you just find a way to be comfortable? You know what I mean? Um, like, do you feel like you're having to not be yourself to be comfortable? I would say in certain settings, um, I've grown to not be my full self, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean that's just the way it is, right? If mm-hmm. I'm if I'm if I'm talking with my uh, my black close friends that I grew up with, known for, I'm gonna probably maybe talk a different way, perhaps, mm-hmm. right? And it's just na- it's just honestly it's just a natural thing mm-hmm. that that happens. I would say, um, yeah. Right. And, and I, I think, and like also in some, in some, and depending on what setting I'm in, I can't be very as transparent. Right. Um, right. In certain settings, because I don't know, I mean, I know what, I know Kent, right? Mm-hmm. I can be fully transparent with you mm-hmm. at any time because we know each other. Mm-hmm. Right. We've yeah. shared things yeah. together. Right. Yeah. Going back to what I was saying and what, what I think the country needs in terms of like we need to spend time together yeah um and uh so we know each other yeah i fully agree with that i actually think that's a very big point because Mm -hmm. growing up in upstate new york there was not a big black community there honestly i mean there was not many um well truthfully there wasn't many people there in that community that just weren't white period of any ethnicity really i mean it was Mm -hmm. um and so i didn't have many black friends at all until moving to nashville Mm -hmm. and that then, you know, when you see something like what happened to Mr. Arbery, this is a very, I, I'm having a very different reaction now than I would have, you know, seven years ago with, because of the friends that I now have, um, that have the same color skin as this guy that was shot, you know, mm-hmm. one o'clock on a Sunday afternoon from jogging. Mm-hmm. Lulu, do you, how do you, you said, you mentioned you feel that pressure. Mm-hmm. How do you handle that? I think similarly to Travis, I don't, it's not something that I think about. And I know for me, it's just, I also have a personality that's a little bit of a perfectionist. And I think, so I don't know how to detach that from, you know, again, what this greater pressure is. And then same thing with my family. Um, our, our, our kind of worldview is a little bit more communal than it is individualistic. And so that means that you need to like, you need to get your stuff together because you can't, you don't want to make the family look bad or you don't want to make the, like what you do impacts other people. And so in that sense, um, there's a pressure that's from there that's outside. And Mm -hmm. then the race is an external layer on top of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I think about that, I think that's just the way that I've always operated. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in that sense, there's at one point, I think an encountering of like, oh, okay, this is what, you know, this is what the world expects of me. How am I going to, am I just going to keep being this? Am I going to buck against it? Because I can sometimes have a little bit of a random rebellious streak sometimes. <laughs> I'm kind of ex- exactly what you're saying. I'm like, wait, okay. what? Yeah, you, know, you no, understand. Gonna, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But at the end of the day, I'm just kind of like, okay, I am who I am, who has been someone after always not fitting in these places, I've grown to be a person who is pretty and pretty comfortable being uncomfortable or maybe not being the only or being the one who doesn't fit in like that's become mm-hmm. possibly my shtick and mm-hmm. um and so in that i it gives me freedom to be who i am to be yeah. someone who is 
black and who has natural hair and who likes video games and jujitsu and like anime and like Mm -hmm. all this stuff that people are like, wait, but you, how we wouldn't have put you. I'm like, yes, I do that. I do that. And I I do it all. (laughs) And that's who I am. And I'm going to leave you to try and figure out how that, all that fits together because I'm busy existing being all of whatever that weird possible in someone else's eyes combination is. Yeah. And I think that like, I know again, still early on, middle school at once um, I was on like a school team to like show show people around the school like give tours when other people were thinking mainly parents thinking about bringing their kids there and I remember at the end of one of the tours one of the women she's like oh my gosh you were so articulate you know and not so much in a way that was like you know for a kid but just for like you know it was it was just a weird thing she was just like really she didn't expect it exactly Mm. she was just kind of like whoa you know, and it really was, I think, in parentheses after that, like for a black person and oh, okay. things like that have come up all the time consistently because okay. kind of um, just getting to your point about sometimes people thinking like, okay, well, do you, or, or sometimes if there's conversations that come up, then people are like, well, you, you're not that kind of black person or you're more like us, you're more white, you know, and it might yeah. be because of the way I talk or because of, I don't know, what other category I tend to fall into that people are like, oh, that's like me too. And I think what I've come to do is rather than associate anything with black or white or Asian or Hispanic or whatever, it's just kind of like, as a person, this is like an affinity that I have and you have that affinity too. And it's not yours and it's not mine. Yeah. It's this thing that we can enjoy and it's not bounded by race or culture, thankfully enough, because this world is so um, interconnected now. Yeah. We can just appreciate those things and not be so obsessed about putting labels or boxes around those things. But I think in the same sense, on the other side, there still needs to be an understanding and appreciation of like, okay, if I'm loving Korean dramas, that comes from Korea. Like I need to make sure that like I can appreciate that that's an aspect of Korean culture that I can celebrate rather than, you know, so we don't cross into lines of appropriation and like all these disrespectful kind of things. I think there's a way Mm -hmm. to acknowledge culture and race to an extent, um, that comes as a result of, you know, the culture that emerges from race without, mm-hmm. without it being restrictive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think for me, when it comes to this idea of like how to deal with that pressure, I think I just, God is working on me and my perfectionism and the ways that that goes bad <laughs> in yeah. and of itself. But yep. I think at least again, in that aspect of do, do whatever you do until the glory of the Lord, like that's something that I can embrace and whatever comes along with that, um, appreciating the the different influences that pour into me in that kind of way yes. that God's given me exposure to. Yeah, yeah. How about within the church? Because I want to make sure we hit on that. Yeah. Um, again, this topic is so big. It's like, man, where do you even start? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, so... Yeah, in thinking in terms of church, Travis, did you read, by the way, um, the whole book... Uh, Inside. Insider Outsider by Brian Loritz. I haven't finished it all. Okay, but you are reading it? I'm reading it, Okay, I got it based on your recommendation the other day, and I'm 20% through it, but (laughs) very very, very good so far. Um, Yeah, and this book just talks about Insider Outsider, My Journey as a Stranger in White Evangelicalism, and My Hope for a Saw by Brian Loritz. Very, actually very good so far. Uh, And easy to read. The chapters are nice and short. Easy. (laughs) It feels like you're making good progress. (laughs) I like it. uh, but it talks about um, this area of ethnic unity and so forth, diversity in, in a church setting. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that for a second. Um, 
you mentioned, you know, just being this complex person. And I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, because I just want to say it like, 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 please do that. Please be that, mm-hmm. you know, um, do you guys, do you feel that, okay, it's safe to say that the general public, uh, the general population in America, there, there's definitely some preconceived notions and so forth that you got to battle against. And the general, it's safe to say the general public does not necessarily want you to just be fully yourself. Mm-hmm. That's safe to say, right? I mean, because you're feeling like you've got to kind of be a certain way or be better than just to kind of, um, you know, make it well in society, which is, which is sad. How about though within the church? Mm-hmm. Like, do you feel that, do you feel deep down that um, there are white people out there that truly, honestly do just want you to let your hair down, so to speak, like just be yourself? Or do you even like deep down sort of question like whether there's any white people out there that want mm-hmm. you to do that or many at all? I know for me, I don't think that whiteness is inherently oppressive. Um, and so kind of like you were saying, Travis, like when you know, when you built a relationship with someone and that person cares about you, that's evident in how they act towards you and in them wanting you to thrive and, you know, be your full self as much as you can be. And even in, in sometimes like whether it's, you know, I know in some spaces I'll just kind of like not go there, so to speak, with whatever, because I don't feel like explaining. But there even are some white friends with whom it's like, I feel like I feel free and safe to explain what I'm talking about with you. And I know mm-hmm. that your questions are not from a place of um, critique or really like, is that really the case? It's more of like a, a genuine openness and wanting to know. And so I'm grateful that within the body of Christ, that that's something, that those relationships are things that I've found. But I think that um, like one kind of idea that might be helpful to kind of just um, for this conversation is this idea of just kind of different layers of um, racism to mm-hmm. extent and like how it manifests. And there's prejudice, which is like kind of an interpersonal one of just how I relate with somebody that I'm talking to or how they treat me or how they think about me, whether it manifests fully into their behavior or not. And then there's systemic, which I think sometimes people think of as like a conspiracy of like maybe let's just say like white people sitting around a table and being like, how can we stop blah, blah, blah. And it's very cartoonish and that's not what it looks like at all. Or sometimes people think of interpersonal racism, meaning like, well, if you're in a, in the KKK, like then clearly you're a racist, but otherwise you're good. And so people are like, woo, can like, you know, wipe my brow and be happy, wipe my hands of that and know that I'm not part of the problem. But I think it's frustrating because there are even attitudes that seem like they might be benign that are, that can sometimes go unchecked between people interpersonally when they're relating, whether it's attitudes about people who are not in the room, whether it's attitudes about people who are, that then affect the way that they make decisions. Mm. And then those decisions, especially if you are in positions of power, become part of a larger structure. It becomes part of policies that are in place or programs that are created or not created and those kind of things. And those things become structure. And so when people are railing against structure, they're like, well, what do you mean the structure is racist, blah, 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 blah. It's like the structure is based on viewpoints or opinions that whether they think negatively about, you know, people who are, you know, not at the table 
or whether they just completely are ignorant of what people are going through and then don't take those experiences into account and then they create systems that maybe benefit them because they're like, I thought it was a good idea. But if you talk to so-and-so who's maybe living in poverty or maybe is being victimized by police or whatever, you would realize like, oh, wait, that's not this. Even though I might be well-intentioned, what I came up with doesn't help because it's not taking their their views, their lived experience into account. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about the church, um, I just recently discovered, and it's been like blowing my mind in a very good, but um, I'm still trying to figure out what to do with it way. Um, Dr. Vince Bantu wrote a book about um, kind of the history of the church. And like my friend and I have been talking for months, um, well, actually for years about this, but especially it came up again in the past couple of months because we've been grappling with this. Just um, we, we both love Christ. We're both trying to, like we're striving as best as we can in our own strength and with the Spirit's help to know the Lord better, to grow in the Lord. But we can't help but ask the question, you know, it's just kind of like, all right, Christ, um, I don't know, it might be controversial, but I'm just going to say it no, anyway. No, please do. On this train. Yeah, please do. <laughs> um, Christ, he's a Middle Eastern man. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And he and his disciples and like our faith grew out of this place, um, yes. out of this continent. Like why is it that so far a lot of the things that we cite, a lot of the theology that we... Um, devour and kind of like that we venerate and appreciate, why is it coming out of Europe? Like where are, where are these Asian scholars? Where are these Eastern, African, Middle Eastern? Like where are they? Because especially for people who have had these ties to Christianity, because it has flourished there. It hasn't been completely stamped out um, by whether it's other religions or politics that are happening in the, in the area where are those voices? And I think that it's not to discredit or throw out everything that we've grown from and everything that we've learned and appreciated over time. But I think it it draws to our attention the need to see how other brothers and sisters in the faith are growing in and walking with the Lord as well. Mm-hmm. I think we can we can gain and appreciate that from one another. And I know sometimes there's very obvious and understandable linguistic barriers. It's like, I don't speak Aramaic if anybody's even speaking anymore. I don't speak Hebrew. Like I don't, I'm not about to study that. Like I'm done with school too. Like I'm not not doing any of that, but I know there are people out there who work to translate and I know there are people out there who are willing to share, but if I'm not willing to even look, you know, for that, it's not going to easily come across my um, table, you know, in, in Nashville, Tennessee, and so I think that there's there's something to be said there because I think that there's a the way that I've grown up I've grown up I think um, I was Ameri- African Methodist Episcopalian at one point growing up that mm. denomination and then I was Pentecostal and I was Southern Baptist and then non denominational oh, wow. like I've just been in a whole bunch of different spaces yeah. I see worship and worship done differently faith done differently some things in some places I'm like I'm definitely not doing that yeah um, and some approaches to things I get frustrated with but. The beauty of it is it teaches me that there's not one way to, like, other than Christ is the one way, Mm -hmm. but there's all these families um, of faith and ways of worship and ways of confessing who God is and celebrating that, that are present throughout the United States across the world as Mm -hmm. well. And so I think sometimes I know that I get frustrated because I do make certain choices about, you know, the places I go. It's like, okay, maybe like, this isn't exactly my worship style. 
I can go home or when I'm riding home from church, I can cut on what I'm more used to yeah. <laughs> and appreciate, you know, or something like that. Even though it's like, I can still say like, this is beautiful and I love it, mm-hmm. but there's, there's still something, there's something missing um, mm. in sometimes, which feels hard to ask for because I'm not talented. I cannot sing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can't, I used to play piano, but I didn't practice. So I don't know how to do that anymore. Saxophone, all of that. And so I can't even... It's hard to say, like, I want to worship this way, but I can't contribute. Mm. You know, it's like, so I can't just be like, Kent, can you learn this and lead me? Yeah. You know, that's not fair. And so yeah. I have to kind of reconcile with that. But I think if there's spaces or times where that's brought up, the fact that there um, are, there's even history of um, marginalization within the church that has affected um, Eastern Orthodox like Christians, which includes Africans and Asians um, and Middle Easterns or wherever, you know, geographically you want to talk about. And if people aren't willing to learn that or hear that, Mm -hmm. that becomes a problem. That becomes a thing of like, well, don't talk about that part. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, it's a part, it's a shutting down of yourself that um, happens in the church. Or if you're like, man, I would really love this kind of worship. And someone takes it rather than like, oh, that's, let's explore that to just kind of like, oh no, that's an affront on what we're doing. That becomes like, okay, you can't, that's off the table. Don't go there. So it becomes a feeling of like, you can show up here as long as you do things the way we do and celebrate what we do and the conversation ends there. I think as long as there's an openness to these other areas and these other experiences, because I know I'm not the only one who's bounced around to different denominations um, and different, again, being whether it's Mennonite and Amish and whatever, like people are Quakers, like there's all these really cool things, ways in which... um, Again, as long as we're fixing our eyes on Christ, that God still shows up Mm -hmm. um, that we need to pay attention to. And so as long as I find myself in a church space that welcomes that, I feel okay. But there's still some things that it's like, you can't, there's no perfect place at this point in time, but we need to look more like heaven. We do. Yeah. And there's no perfect place. However, um, if we, it would be fair if we all felt like something was missing at least the same amount of time. And I fear that's not the case. Mm. You know what I mean? Because in white kind of evangelical circles, um, a lot could be said, but the one thing that um, I think would be tough to argue against is that we tend to demonize that which we're uncomfortable with. For sure. I mean, this just happens over and over and over again. Maybe that's a preaching style. Maybe that's a music genre. But I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. we just do. Maybe it's, maybe it's um, you know, the ethnicity of someone that's saying something and it makes us a little uncomfortable. I mean, we just, that, that happens way too often. Um, you mentioned something about, uh, how did you put it? Maybe like there was, a, there was some, something that's missing or maybe there's a gap or hole there in terms of, um, the music style I think you were referring to. Oh, that's um, mm-hmm. I, and I want to ask you guys about that. So like, again, in a church setting, in an evangelical, uh, Christian evangelical setting, what are some of those things that are missing that we might not be aware of? By we, I mean a white evangelical American might not be aware of. Um, like even... I, no wrong answer here. Like super practical is, is great. The music thing. I'd love to hear more about that. That sounds like that's one of them. Is there, mm-hmm. is there others? Yeah. I guess. Um, and well, by the way, Travis, 
there's no way. It's 510. There's no way you can leave in 20 minutes. Come on. Reschedule your meeting. Got to go. Got to go. I have Buffalo Trace bourbon over there. Oh, okay. I thought that might keep you. Four roses? No. Well, I can go get four roses if that's what it takes. I didn't know, was, I didn't know you were that picky, man. Come on. I'll just give you a hard time. But what, I, what, I will, what I'll start with is um, I, I'm hopeful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that only the power of Christ um, within us and within the church that's going to move us to the place where there's no racial injustice bias even within the church and to the point where we are able to experience um, what heaven will look like um, at, at church, right? I'm, I'm hopeful. Mm-hmm. We're nowhere near that, in my opinion. Um, today um, in America um, for a lot of reasons. Honestly, I think there's a, um, and I'm speaking of um, the total church right now mm-hmm. in, in America, as I'm speaking about, that I think um, you're exactly right. Um, I think minorities in the church are very uncomfortable in some, in certain cases. And, and I think, um, one change, one thing is, hey, you know, we need we need more people to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's 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 one of the challenges I think we have. Um, and it's and and we're talking about inside the church, but I think it's outside the church as well. So it's kind of like, and does the church look any different than outside mm-hmm. the church? Right, as relate as relates to those things. Yeah, do the people attending the church is it a representation of the city? Or the area is that is that kind of what you're referencing? Yes, yes, but also the bias as well that goes on right outside outside the church mm. Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some can experience that inside the church as well. Oh, I see. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, um, yep. and so, but yes, I mean, if we want to talk numbers, right? Obviously, mm-hmm. yeah, right. I mean, if like Nashville, I don't know, Nashville might be. Ten percent, I don't know, ten fifteen percent um, black, mm-hmm. right? Um, and probably six to eight percent Hispanic or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, should should those ch- the churches in that area reflect that? Mm-hmm. I think so. If if you if you're pursuing kind of you know all nations mm-hmm. and all tongues, yeah, absolutely, and and, and so forth, right? Um, but, uh, so that's, that's one thing, um, being uncomfortable with, you know, like we, we like what we like, right? We like, you th- re- why do you think people, if you, if you put people that look totally different in one room, one big room, your big room out here, we have like a, a, uh, you know, a gathering of some sort, black, white, Asians. Why do we just, just gravitate to the people that look like us. Right? Yeah. We do that in the church as well mm-hmm. because that's comfortable. Mm-hmm. It's comfortable mm-hmm. for us to, mm-hmm. we want to be around people that look like us, talk like us. You know, um, we want to, we want to have that, that sense of home, sense of safety, um, if you will. And so um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of preferences that comes with that. Right. And, and inside the church, yes, music is one music for, for black people. Music is, a, is, is, is a probably one of the top, Mm-hmm. On the list, I was going to ask. Um, do you think that's the top on the list? 
I think it's it's very very close. very high for the friends very, that I've spoken. Oh yeah? yeah, very high. Okay, because because it, it it comes back to how you were raised and the experiences you had mm-hmm. as a child and your family, right? And also too, sometimes the um, I love I love hymns because of um, you know, again the the messages that are conveyed, the words that you're saying, and sometimes when it comes to whether it's like gospel or spirituals or things like that, there's stories, there's communications, there's a connection with God that's expressed in ways that are completely different from maybe traditional hymns or even contemporary worship songs that's being missed. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a way that that resonates. I know with me personally, in a way that, you know, I still connect with these things, but I think when there's that absence, that absolutely feels missed. It's an aspect of our Christian experience, collective Christian experience that's cut out and that feels like a loss. Okay. So just to have just a little bit of straight talk and just please forgive my ignorance, but um, like what types of music would tend to be more white evangelical that may not resonate as well uh, in the black community and what types of music would, if you showed up to a church and you're visiting and they're playing this particular type of music um, that you'd be like, Oh, cool. It's hard because it's kind of, as Travis was saying before, like the black community is so nuanced. I think it'd be hard to make a call, but I know for me Not for you guys even. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it would be, um, I feel bad. It's like, I feel like I'm about to name names. <laughs> I mean, that's, <laughs> do it. that's okay. <laughs> like, you mean bands? I, I appreciate yeah, Chris do. Tomlin, but I feel like sometimes like if I'm in a space, I'm just kind of like, okay, well... Um, some things are, you know, they're just straight psalms that are put to music in a different way, and I can appreciate that. But like sometimes that style, I'm just kind of like, meh. Like, yeah, I I know that I appreciate it because I love the Lord. Um, and there's some songs too that He does put out that I'm like, okay, I do enjoy that. I appreciate that style. You can but say I think, that. I mean, that's totally you and me both, by the way. Okay, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I, yeah, right. And I know, um, like, just again, um, there's that's different from maybe. Like I'm even thinking just like in whatever playlist that I have of um, just, again, whether it's gospel music, whether it's um, spirituals, sometimes that go to, I think they call them like Negro spirituals from Mm -hmm. back to times of um, slavery where people were contending with and pushing against um, even just like fake versions of scripture, which was the slave Bible, carving out pieces to kind of um, to justify slavery that then people were still relating and communing with the Lord in ways that were pushing against what they knew to be fake scripture, which is amazing. I think that again, when we, when we are singing songs like that, and if it, for me personally, if it harkens back to that, that just takes me to, it helps me relate with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, again, in a time and a place and a situation where they were, where their eyes were fixed on the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that's just valuable to me. Um, and, you know, as much as I love a good beat, you know, in different times, but at the same time, just again, with me being a person who's sometimes would be called out of the box, like I love King's Kaleidoscope. My husband, I love him. He does not like the music because mm-hmm. he's like, I don't like the lead singer's voice. But um, <laughs> but with me, even so, like what the arrangements that Chad makes with like the songs and taking even like old hymnals and I love brass and strings because I used to be in a jazz band. So like mm-hmm. that even like, resonates with me in a different kind of way. That's really cool. And so I think that there's aspects of just like speaking to experience that's valuable. Um, The different types of instruments and the interplay between those that are like the different beats and tempos and styles um, that 
all these different ways are just really cool and fun ways to be like, man, listen how we're celebrating God with the triangle and yeah. the, you know, harmonica and the saxophone yes. and the piano and the, it's just kind of, or even just acapella, gorgeous acapella. Mm-hmm. Um, and even just things that like just reverberate in your chest um, that move you to emotion mm-hmm. in ways that I know that worship is not about that experience, you know, and always, and taking you to that place necessarily. But I think it's, it is really cool when the Lord, because the Lord does still allow for that sometimes yes, and blesses us with that. And so I'm, I just love to be able to indulge in all of these different things, like yes. just a buffet of worship. Um, yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, and, and by the way, Chris Tomlin is awesome. I mean, yes. he's super mm-hmm. talented mm-hmm. and so many people love his music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure that even lots of people have come to know the Lord through his music. Right. That doesn't mean we need to like his music. Right. You know what I mean? Or like it needs to be the only fine. thing or the most heavily played. Like some yeah. things are overplayed, I think is the point Well, that's that a I'm good making. point. Yeah. Well, that's a great point. I really have never listened to the radio, but part of the reason would be because of what you just said. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> One thing I will say about Chris Tomlin, though, the first time I, be- I visited or became a part of a predominantly white church, Chris Tomlin's music was probably the 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 only music that I kind of gravitated to. Mm. Oh, wow. Interesting. Kind of the bridge, if you will. Uh, okay. From What was uh, the other type of music that was being played that was less, uh, that resonated even less? <laughs> I mean, we don't have to, to, you, don't have to, you don't have to name names. Yeah. I'm just kind of curious. You know, it was, doesn't, it just wasn't my taste, you know, it was totally okay. different, right? I mean, if there wasn't, um, there wasn't a lot of room for me to, for, in my opinion, to make a joyful noise into the Lord. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Um, it was a bit slow. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. Um, yeah. It was, you know, um, very reflective, if you will. Like I, mm. I, For me, I grew up in, in a black Baptist um, family. And so if you go in, if you've ever been to a black, have you ever been to a black Baptist church before? Uh, no, I have not. Okay. So when you ever, when you visit a black Baptist church, you will know, first off, you're going to be able to hear the music from the, from the parking <laughs> lot because it's loud. Okay. Um, and everyone is very expressive and people, and we just like, you know, how it makes you feel when yeah. we're worshiping the Lord and we're kind of, um, able to, um, drown out everything else that's happening in the world, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or even in the room. And so there's a level of worship, um, that, um, you know, I experienced as a kid, right. That I want to get back to. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and you talked about. Um, having to feel uncomfortable or holding back. I know for a fact that, yeah, a lot of black people in predominantly white churches hold back in their worship mm. um, because based on, you know, wanting to not mm-hmm. feel different, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and so forth. I know I have, right? Yeah. I know I have. Yeah. Um, and, um, but, uh, Maybe it'll change. Maybe I'm hopeful it'll change. Yeah, right? yeah, hopefully. Um, what, uh, yeah, certainly. What What other things? One of the things that he talks about just early on in the book, because I've already kind of read some of it and haven't gotten super far here yet, but he talks about preaching styles mm-hmm. and how his dad, uh, Brian Lewis' dad was a preacher and Brian's a preacher, and he remembers his dad sort of preaching one way to a more black congregation and then toning it down and preaching a different way mm-hmm. to a more, uh, if he's visiting a church or whatever, more white congregation. Uh, why are you smiling? Is that his it's preaching? so true. It's, it's so preaching? true. Okay. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. so true, right? I think, uh, I mean, 
my current pastors, I love all my, my the pastors of our church mm-hmm. and Emmanuel and um, different styles. Yeah. Um, and with, I've been there four years. I'm not going anywhere. You mm-hmm. know, I'll be there many, many years. Uh, and and so, but yeah, it's different. Mm-hmm. It's different, right? It's it's more uh, black pastors uh, tend to be more um, expressive and more mm-hmm. have more energy. And right? different cadence. Different cadence. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, um, less of lecture or mm-hmm. experience lecturing, but... No, I get it. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so, um, and you also have like a kind of a call and yes. and response like, hey, you know, mm-hmm. I'm saying something that's true mm-hmm. about our God. You, you know, expect a response. You expect mm-hmm. some people to say amen. Absolutely. Yes. I'm, I'm with you. I'm in... Yes. This guy is up there preaching... We're in it with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we're not just here to consume. Right. We're here to worship with, with him. Yes. Um, and um, so, yeah, it's definitely, I, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with what, what Brian's saying in there. Um, other things I'll say that's, that's, um, that's different. I, I think um, from a multi-ethnic church standpoint, right, first you have to have, I mean, I think in my, this is, this is my opinion, right? Um, you have to have uh minority pastors on staff Absolutely. with yeah. with authority mm-hmm. right and have and have, and they're able to have influence um also on staff eldership all of that um, mm-hmm. i think i think i think that's important because um if a new minority couple comes to the church most of them are probably looking around to see if mm-hmm. there are others in the room or if they're the only one, only minorities in the, in the room. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Um, and so if you don't have that, um, it's, it's a, it's, it's a barrier. It's a challenge. I think yeah. it can be a challenge. And I think yep. it gets back to that structural piece that I was talking about. It's just like, it's one thing if the congregation itself is diverse, but if the people in charge and making decisions are not, Especially, it's one thing, you know, if, if the leadership constantly does ask, you know, the, the congregation, you know, it's like, how can we proceed on that? But it's helpful to have, um, since we're talking about race and ethnicity, people of color in positions of power who can, at least for some aspects, speak to at least a segment of that experience and then also be able to, that people may gravitate towards them in different ways. It's just because, again, the reality is that people do sometimes you know, make snap judgments just based off of the color of skin. But yes. things might be told to some pastors differently, even, you know, just because of the way that they look, the color of their skin. And yes. so those things still need to be taken into consideration um, when when there is, um, when there's an awareness of maybe issues that might be happening at the church or things that might need to be in place. Mm-hmm. Um, if those things are not communicated, if people don't feel like, they can approach leadership in that way for mm-hmm. whatever reasons, then there's no way for the church to address it. And then they're scrambling still here. Like, why is our, our a congregation not multi-ethnic? Why are people leaving? Why are people feeling frustrated? Or, you know, so-and-so felt like they came and talked to me and I thought I did a good job and this person walked away feeling misunderstood still. Yes. And so um, that leadership piece is really important. Absolutely. And there, there has to be a, a culture of honesty. Yeah within within the the, uh, the membership base, right? Where you can just be honest, mm-hmm. you know? We're mm-hmm. not trying to, you know, we're all in this together, mm-hmm. right? Um, yes. We're showing up, we're showing up, right? Um, together. And so let's be honest um, and um, let's all get un- uncomfortable, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I would encourage all um, my white brothers and sisters to experience, find a way to experience um, being a minority. 
mm-hmm. um, either professionally through service, perhaps seek out um, a gospel center church that you know a Hispanic church or a black church, um, and just mm-hmm. ex- walk in that space mm-hmm. to kind mm-hmm. of just step into that. Right? We yeah. had a um, my kids go to a. Um, uh, ethnic and ethnic uh, economic race and then diverse school. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that our head of school did at our parents meeting early in the year was um, we have a large number of Hispanic families in the family, in the meeting, he stood up and said, Hey, I'm going to be talking up here about our vision for the year and beyond and talk about a lot of things, but I need six volunteers to listen to um, this in Spanish. Mm-hmm. We have headphones and everything. We have a translator mm-hmm. and that exercise of like, you know, wanting us to, to, to be put in a minority situation where we don't, mm. I don't speak Spanish, so, but I need to, I'm listening to it. You were listening what to the translator? The translator okay, yeah. in Spanish through, yeah. you know, and so just that whole thought of like entering into the space of, you know, feeling uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I, think, I think all of us to need to experience that at some point. Yeah, right. I agree. That's a great point. Any other, I'm sure there are, but other things that come to mind that uh, white people might be oblivious to that you would miss or want at church, like even practical things, it might even be embarrassing to mention, but any, does anything else come to mind? One thing that I think I'm grateful for our church, what we do well, what I used to love um, as a kid and growing up about, especially at our AMA church was um, afterwards, the church potlucks. And then also mm-hmm. too, when you show up, if you're new, you're going to get called out for being new and you're going to... Do you like, like that? Are, I hated it at the time. Okay. But there's something really sweet where it's just kind of like, we got, you know, uh, yeah, right. like, stand no, up, I like say your name, you know, and then the whole church, like it's like a receiving line. You've, I know it sometimes I would feel like, oh man, you know, mm-hmm. but I would also feel like, wow, these people cared enough to stop their service to like come over and greet me and welcome me into this church and tell me how glad they are to see me. And... um hope that I'm blessed. And I know that like the churches, some churches, the churches I was going to that were, were significantly smaller than our church right now. And so I don't think that would be feasible. And especially of course, in the middle of coronavirus stuff, that's sure. not feasible at all yeah. right now. But um, I think that even though the way we do, and this is not like a plug for Emmanuel, but the way that we do community and that kind of welcoming and fellowship at Emmanuel is different. I feel like it's, um, it harkens back to that in a way that's, for me, um, heartwarming and welcoming. And mm-hmm. I'm grateful for that because a lot of churches, the church we went to before this, like it was a huge church. We could go in and out. We were there for five years. Um, some people didn't even, like we didn't even know some people. And we kind of liked that. We're like, okay, we know our parking space, get in, get out. We know that we'll be at lunch in an hour, like both. Yeah. And you know, in Emmanuel, we're just kind of like, oh, hey, oh crap. Okay, yeah, hi, exactly. hi, you know. Yeah. Um, but there, that family feel yeah. um, was just so wonderful. And I don't think that, most, at least a lot of churches that I go to, that's something that feels very unique about Emmanuel that for me harkens back to uh, my experiences in black churches Mm. that I really appreciated. And so I'm grateful for that, but I would hope that that is something that other people can experience in their church communities as well. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. The community aspect and kind of that brotherhood and sisterhood. Yeah. 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 Um, do you, and do potlucks, you, maybe. Okay, well, I was just gonna, I was just gonna ask on that. <laughs> we used, we used to have uh, we called them uh, I think fellowship dinners. I think mm. something like that. <laughs> but yeah, after church, you go into the church basement, and everyone had brought some food, and mm-hmm. you would have lunch together. I think we did mm-hmm. it like 
I can't remember. It, it was more than a few times a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would agree. I would agree is that. that more? Is that more popular at black churches? Is that Absolutely. something that? Okay. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, okay. After after church fellowship, they even made you know they called this a fellowship hall. Yes. It's like mm-hmm. right. Built, you built on a, either the basement or right. an yeah. extension of the building. You just that, that's what you did after after church. Mm-hmm. I think additionally, I think in um, within the service. Um, being close together, be it, you know, we're praying together, we're all coming down front together mm-hmm. and we're praying to the Lord together. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of, just again, that's just kind of closeness mm-hmm. um, that, that you feel um, at, at church, right? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Mm. I feel like those are the big ones, yeah. at least for okay. me. How, how about service length? Oh, that's fair. Hour, different. hour and a half? Is that common? Or maybe have... on the books, but I think at least in the churches <laughs> I went to, you know, again, it's longer or shorter? Longer. Okay. If a pastor was on a roll, especially, or if there was a special event, you know. Um, I okay. think part of that call and response sometimes people would be like, take your time. Pastor, and you're like, no, don't take your time. Like, you right. know, <laughs> which yeah. is terrible. Again, I was I was a restless little kid in church back in the days. Um, but I think there's something cool too to be said that. Um, where it's just kind of like, okay, we're here to worship the Lord. Like, this is what this day is dedicated for. Yeah. You're going to get fed. Like, you know, and so, but I know, again, my husband would completely disagree, um, possibly just based off of the experiences that he's had, because mm-hmm. not everyone's experiences are positive. And yeah. so um, I think we, in the United States, um, and I don't know, again, this might be controversial, and it might have to do with just kind of like time, for me, African time, CB time, whatever. Um, some people tend to like, they're like, we expect for this to start on this time and to be yeah. out by this time. And sometimes, um, at least in the experiences that I had when I was part specifically again at this AME church and Pentecostal, it's just kind of like, okay, well, yeah, it's like a rough estimate, but we're not so obsessed with like, we have to be on this schedule or be out by this or the parking lot needs to be cleared by this time. It's just kind of like we're, we're fellowship and we're yeah. hanging out with our yes. family and when it's over, it's over. And two, yeah. if you need to go, just go. Like, yeah. Yes. There's, <laughs> there's, yeah, there's, there's a, there's a level of kind of freedom and worship of like, mm-hmm. Hey, we're not gonna, this is the Lord's day, mm-hmm. you know, and we're going to just not going to rush through it. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. In the black church. Yep. Um, and as long as we need to, to get through this, we're gonna we're gonna do it. No mm-hmm. worship and worship the Lord. Yeah. Um. And I think also, with, but within that though, there's still there's still a level of structure though. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And and formalities, which I think are important. Mm-hmm. I think there is a, and it depends on the church, right? You talking? Mm-hmm. It depends on the church size, right? Mm-hmm. The type of church. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, there's some churches who are super casual. Mm-hmm. Um. There's some things that irk me about certain mm-hmm. churches, you mm-hmm. know. Um. But it came from when I was black. When my, my black black church, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. It's just. It's just different. Yep. You know, you yep. try to be there on time. Um, and there's mm-hmm. kind of order, order to that, but it doesn't matter what time we leave. Yeah. Um, yeah. Per, per se. What, uh, what do you think as far as like the kind of, I guess you could say almost like a little bit more abandoned in worship and then more responsiveness in the sermon. Um, I really, that really resonates with me. Like I a hundred percent agree. That's not the background that I grew up in. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, it's, there's, 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 there's value there. And quite frankly, I, 
it's my preference. You know what I mean? Like even more than we have now at Emmanuel, which I think it's it's great. But and I don't want to speak on behalf of the pastors, but I know they they would agree here. So like, what mm-hmm. what what could be done to work towards that end? Like, which, is which it, one? Is, you, which one? Are you well, either one, first? I guess. More abandoned in worship, or like like. Do you just think that's? Do you think that's a personal preference thing? I guess that's where I'm going here. Is that just mm-hmm. a personal preference thing, or is there really you think like? an outsized number of black attendees at Emmanuel that are really holding back because they feel like they should based mm-hmm. on all the white people there. I mean, I can't speak for, I can't speak for everyone, right? I can only speak for myself uh, as late to this. I would say yes, I would say so, right? I think um, having more diverse music um, for worship is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I think it goes back to um, us being un- uncomfortable mm-hmm. and and I guarantee I, well I've spoken to a lot of even it's interesting um, when the whole Kanye Kanye West church service or what do you call it <laughs> Sunday music or whatever mm-hmm. Sunday service music a lot of my white friends are like oh I wish we could we could do this at church we could sing these type of songs at, at church and I was like oh wow really okay. <laughs> you know and so mm-hmm. think about the choir well, you didn't think that they would want to no because we don't, right? right? I, don't, yeah. I don't experience that. Right. I haven't. I haven't seen. Yeah. It. Right. Not okay. Yeah. Our church or other churches, yeah, mm-hmm. per se. But when they're at home, they're bumping it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they're don't bumping you think that's super common though? I feel like that's super common. That does not surprise <laughs> me at all that you had a white friend that said that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, does that surprise you, Lincoln? No, we listen to. <laughs> <laughs> we won't talk about what we listen to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think one suggestion that a friend made that I thought was phenomenal, but it's not, I don't know, whether or not it can be implemented, I guess is up to the people making decisions. But even if there was kind of like a cycling of the different styles of music, if like you were saying, if you were looking for abandon and worship, what if we like, you know, had a point in time where it's just kind of like, okay, today we are listening to something, you know, that... Or someone's leading us in worship that's more in the style of whether it's like Shylin or Jackie Hill Perry or, you know, or Kirk Franklin or whatever, like along those lines. And then, you know, even if it would be really cool if there were, um, I don't know what, how large the Hispanic body is at Emmanuel, but like still just someone in leadership who is just kind of like, this is a Hispanic worship song, you know, um, and rotating through. Because I know even one Sunday, it was maybe for the 500, 500th years anniversary of like the Reformation or whatever, yeah. like they brought in a band and I was yes. like, do you, I like went up there. I was like, do you guys go here? Why aren't you up here every Sunday? Yes, and they're yeah. like, no, we don't go here. <laughs> but I was like, that's cool. If you can bring in other artists, yeah. um, why don't, we're in Nashville. Like yes, there's right. absolutely yeah. a plethora of people, musicians, um, Christian or not, um, who could come and whether it's like we're able to like pay them or whatever service exchange or something, even yes. if there was like, money or funds that we raised as a church towards that, you know, mm-hmm. to just kind of have people come in and show us, help us like expose us to other ways of worshiping the Lord. Um, and even if it's just a musician playing it, my friend was telling me at her church, they would do that. And that became a ministry because they would have people who were non-Christians mm-hmm. who came and performed. And it, it was a really cool deal one Sunday when, um, one of the guitarists or the bassists, he had accepted Christ just by virtue wow, of having cool. been there yeah. a couple of different times and like leading them in these areas. And it's just like, that's such a wonderful opportunity that kills so many birds with one stone, yeah. you know? And then it also takes, takes off the responsibility of like, okay, Travis, like 
who can sing this for us or like who can <laughs> right. lead us? And it's like, I don't know. Like I yeah. don't, or, you know, or even if it's someone who can in the church, they might not have the bandwidth or the time or whatever. Yeah. So we could tap into that resource here yes. in our city and that could be something to implement and something that if we as a church, and if there are more people who are just kind of like, oh, I love this music. And you're like, wait, I didn't know. And the only reason we're having this conversation is because it's playing before service right now. Right. That's a way to just open up. And it's like, okay, well, if we need to have, um, again, part of funds raised or something as a special thing for that, then we could work towards that. And that could be a way to achieve that goal. Um, yes. And then as far as the abandon and worship, then you could be trying to like just expose people. It'd be cool if, I'm sure for me, if my daughter started singing in Spanish one day as a worship song because of what she'd been hearing at church, that would be such a beautiful thing. Yeah. That looks so much more like heaven mm-hmm. um, than me just, again, like even though I love the songs that I love, but I think that exposure is possible. It's definitely going to take some work. It's going to take some resources. Yes. And it will make people uncomfortable because people are like, I don't speak Spanish. I definitely don't speak Spanish, but I could try and like learn or fumble over the words or if I hear it enough, singing is a great way to learn another language Yeah, or expose to other cultures. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. You mentioned Mm -hmm. Shailen. We've talked about him before on the podcast Mm -hmm. and for whatever reason, I only recently stumbled across his music and yeah, I just love it so much. I think we need, so he's been at Emmanuel apparently years ago. Mm -hmm. Were you there when he was there? No, I, we missed that weekend, but we were at the church when he came. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think he he needs to come back at some point again. His, His stuff is Phenomenal, Shylin, S H A I L I N N E. I think Shylin. It'd be hard to sing along though, too, because sometimes yeah, oh for sure, yeah, yeah, for yeah, yeah. it would be. But I mean, he just it's it's exceptional. Honestly, Mm -hmm. Uh, we were running out of time. But um, if you were to, it's okay to change the subject entirely here. But I'd kind of love to hear from each of you. Like again, this is a big topic, but what is like maybe one more thing you guys wanted to say or an issue maybe we didn't get to, or even like a, a, a corner here or a niche here or an issue here that is like specifically kind of close to your heart. Does anything come, come to mind? I know for me, one thing that I think frustrates me about the way that Christianity is practiced, at least in the spaces that I've been in the current division that we have is that, um, there's a division between, you know, again, our souls and personal salvation um, and Christ, you know, being the way for that and Christ alone, and then people focusing on justice. And I think that we should be consistently intentional about making sure that we recognize that, you know, when Christ said, you know, the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Um, and the second is like it, love your neighbors yourself that that's a combination of, um, and the way that I heard it put that I love so much is orthodoxy. So that's right, ortho being right and straight, correct belief, and then orthopraxy um, Mm. and right practice and why justice matters um, and why why these kind of things that people are just like, well, they're they're marginal issues or they're distraction from the gospel. It's like, no, the gospel is a combination of orthodoxy and orthopraxis. Um, as said by Christ himself. And it's consistent throughout scripture, Old Testament to New Testament. And so that's one thing that really bothers me so much um, that makes it hard to have conversations with sometimes a lot of white evangelicals and even black evangelicals, because whether it's like, not evangelicals, black um, people who might be more in the social justice camp, Mm -hmm. um, because then there's still, again, uh, it's an either or that people have created this dichotomy and they feel safe in it. But, um, but really what we should be 
aiming for what we should be pursuing is a combination of the two that would make us probably hated on both sides of the aisles politically, you know, um, in whatever circles that we are to socially, um, people would be like, I can't believe, I thought you, I thought you said yes. that you cared about this. How could you possibly believe that? I think that being in that uncomfortable middle space, yes. that should be our experiences as followers of Christ, because that's also where he lived constantly. Yes. People just being like, wait, I thought you were on our side, or I thought you said that you believed this. How could you blah, blah, blah. Um, we just need to get comfortable being in that space. Um, and I know that that's true for me too. I struggle with that. I care too much sometimes what people think or how they might feel. Um, I try to need to like adjust that in a, in a healthy way, but that's something that's, I think right now that the Lord has been pressing on my heart. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I, I have a developing hypothesis here that, um, I think I'll just throw out there now, but again, it's still in the works, but it's like, if you're not being attacked by both the right wing and the left wing, then it's good. It should give pause to like rethink your theology, Christology, your Christianity, basically, mm-hmm. because that is in that is starting to pop up very often. Like someone, I'm in a conversation. They're saying like, well, the, and but here's what I think about this, and that probably doesn't sound right because you would probably have thought I have a different view on it or whatnot. Mm-hmm. That, that's mm-hmm. becoming increasingly mm-hmm. common, and I think it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, how about you, Travis? Um, I guess what I would leave us with is, um, one day, one day soon, someone's going to tell my sons and daughter that they're different. Um, and, uh, I'm not looking forward to the day when they come home and tell me that they had this conversation with someone. Um, and, um, but I, I, I feel like I have to prepare for it. Right. Um, and I guess what I would like to leave, like, I want my white brothers and sisters to, to know that, um, that day's coming, the ones mm-hmm. that, you know, and, and, um, and how do you help, help me help my family kind of navigate that. Right. Because similar to Lulu, her memory mm-hmm. as a child Mm-hmm. You know, someone told her, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, um, that she's different. Yeah, um, but I, but I want them to know that they're created in the image of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. and that's what I want them to remember. Absolutely. Um, so, and how you know. could your white brothers and sisters? I know you got to go, but how could your white brothers and sisters help with that? Be aware, first of all, know that that's a conversation that you fully expect to have one day. Some people mm-hmm. may not be aware of that. Mm-hmm. Um, be aware, uh, show support. How, how could, you know, your white brothers and sisters help you help your family with that? Um, first I think it starts in their home, right? How, you know, training their children, mm-hmm. um, um, in the space of, um, you know, all of us are creating the image of the Lord. Um, yes, our skin colors are different, but, uh, we are one in the Lord. Um, we have, you know, we all bleed the same. There's a song, bleed the, bleed the Same, I think, by Mendisa and Toby mm-hmm. Mack or something. Mm-hmm. Um, our blood is red, yeah. all of us. Um, and so training, your, training the kids up in, up in that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, and I would say um, that one of the things I continued to say earlier was around, um, you know, welcome, welcome uh, minorities into your space, into your life. Mm-hmm. Like, really, yeah. you know, get uncomfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Get uncomfortable yeah. with it um, in, in such a way. So when that, those conversations had, we have somewhere to go and kind of, mm-hmm. you know, 
and say, hey, man, well, you know what? I'm dealing with this, mm-hmm. this situation right now. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, pray for me, mm-hmm. you know, um, encourage, encourage me in it, right? Mm-hmm. So, so to um, maybe not fully prevent, but to um, perhaps um, to slow down with the, the bitterness that could mm-hmm. come up amongst yes. whites, right? Yes. Um, and I think that's, that's what help looks like. Yeah. Um, yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. How do yeah. you think? So very soon after the Ahmad Arbery was released, yeah. um, Lincoln, who's about to be 10, Jackson, who's about to be eight. Um, uh, you know, I came home from work and then we, I brought them back here to the office and we stopped and got Chick-fil-A on the way mm-hmm. back here. I wanted to be like a, I I wanted to go out of the way and make it a thing. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. we're going to have a meeting, Mm -hmm. but we got Chick-fil-A and I set them at the table and they were eating their Chick-fil-A and we had like a one hour meeting on (laughs) um, what happened with Mr. Arbery. I drew it on the whiteboard, just some generals. I kept it very general, Mm -hmm. Um, but need to let them know that in my personal opinion, this guy would still be alive if his skin had been white. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, and if people disagree with me, that's fine because we can look at many, 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 many other examples of mm-hmm. how things would have been different if their mm-hmm. skin had been white. Mm-hmm. And so we had the conversation about they're white, they're boys, they're going to grow up, they have some responsibility here. Um, and, um, you know, that, that um, uh, you know, that night, Jackson, who's about to be eight, you know, he had a nightmare. But oh. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't feel too badly about that. Again, I kept it fairly general. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I don't feel too badly about that, because I can promise you he's not the only boy that had a nightmare Absolutely. based on mm-hmm. knowledge of that transaction or that mm-hmm. that murder. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm not trying to scar them. Certainly, I'm not trying to scare them even. I'm just I'm I just I'm 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 going to kind of taking the approach like I would with sex, I guess, is mm-hmm. instead of one big talk, we're going to open the conversation and we're going to have plenty of talks, mm-hmm. you know? Um, is that something that that you would maybe think is maybe not a horrible idea or maybe that's a good idea that other people can be doing with their kids whenever they think it's appropriate? Maybe it's not 8 and 10. Maybe it's later on. Um, is something like that helpful? I think it's completely helpful and it's consistent with scripture. If I think about um, Galatians 6, and bear one another's burdens. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, there are tons of boys, I'm sure, children um, who, and especially black boys maybe, who also like maybe had nightmares or were oh, freaked 100%, out. Mothers 100%. who had nightmares, fathers, sisters, people thinking about yeah. their loved ones just completely freaked out. And it's been the case since back and back and back, right? Um, so in that sense, by you kind of entering in, in that sense to, um, to that experience, even though it was not intentional, not saying to give your children nightmares, right. of course, but to say, Hey, the way that we will sit down and talk with our families and our children to just be like, this is, this is what has happened in the world. Here's why it's wrong. Here's what we can do. Um, here's how to process it. That's for someone who called themselves, um, a brother or sister in faith, that's, I think consistent with what scripture calls y'all mm-hmm. to do. And I know for me, it makes me feel loved and mm-hmm. seen and appreciated and kind of hopefully then puts um, your sons in a position too. If um, as part of your teaching, as well as like, if they hear someone saying something crazy, just being like, wait, that's not true rather than right. it going unchecked right. or being, you know, letting the laugh get in there because that's more important. And then these things kind of um, grow rather than be, um, be called out for the lies that they are or the called out for the problems that they are. And yes. so those kind of conversations, I would say absolutely are the right type of thing to do. And yeah. I'm grateful for 
like people like you guys who are sure. doing that. Yeah. And I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. And that doesn't happen if my white brothers and sisters as parents are not training their children in that. Right. right. That doesn't, that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That doesn't happen. So. Yeah. And I think it, and I think it doesn't happen often because we don't have, um, friends that close, close friends that are of different skin color than I, you know, because w- when this goes down, like I'm thinking of just a list of guys that I know now that I can't imagine if they'd get shot when they're out jogging, mm-hmm. you know, it just would just be awful. Um, so anything else you guys wanted to touch on in closing? Like no, thanks for having me. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. So well, much. thank you guys both for being on here. Yeah, Love you guys. You. You're beautiful, godly. Yeah. I mean, it's a <laughs> privilege to be part of um, you know the church body with you guys. So, um, you. And so, yeah, thank you very much for your time, Travis. We kept you late. Sorry that I'm not very sorry. <laughs> Four roses. <Yeah. laughs> Next time. All right, guys. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you.